We all have a voice. With this podcast, we have a platform. We have an audience. That's you listening to this. And you have a network of family, friends, and colleagues. But what do we do with that voice, with that platform, with that audience, with that network? How do we leverage what we have to amplify the good in our community, to showcase the people who are truly making a difference? I'm Jason Gillikin, CEO of EarFluence, and you're listening to Charity Champions, a series that focuses on charities in the Triangle area. Each episode will feature a different host talking to someone who's giving back and focusing their time on helping others. Today's episode is hosted by Jess Aberhart, host of the Reinvention Road Trip podcast, regular contributor on WRL TechWire, her articles are a must read by the way, board member of the Joel Fund, and consultant slash speaker on all things leadership and corporate burnout. Here's Jess. I'm Jess Aberhart, creator of the Reinvention Road Trip, and I will be your host today as we feature a charity that I am super proud, so, so proud to be involved with, the Joel Fund. I can't wait to sort of unpack all of this with you. So what we have for you today is a special conversation that will be driven by two very special individuals, Brooke Dickert, who is the executive director of the Joel Fund, and Eddie Spaghetti, who you all are going to fall in love with. He walked in here and I just met him and was like, man, this guy is going to be great. It's a lot of fun. Takes himself, does not take himself too seriously, but obviously has a lot of lived experience and great wisdom to share. So I'm excited to have both of you with us. Eddie Spaghetti, just for the record, has six years in the Navy and submarine service. And we'll dig into that in just a little bit. But thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Brooke, why don't we get started with you so you can help lay a great foundation for the rest of this conversation. Tell us about the Joel Fund and why you started it. Absolutely. I just want to first say thank you for this opportunity. So the Joel Fund, I started this in honor of my dad. He was a Navy SEAL. He served 20 years on SEAL Team 2, and he was a plank owner. He was an original member of SEAL Team 6. In 2014, my dad passed away after a long battle with PTSD and basically everything that comes along with it, substance abuse and depression. And we we just felt very lost, didn't know what to do, didn't understand what had happened. And so I channeled that into something positive and decided to help other veterans and their families so that they didn't have to go through what we went through. And um, in 2015, we started the Joel Fund and haven't looked back since. Yeah, no, you haven't. And um, I guess for our listeners' purposes, you know, I have a special connection to the Joel Fund that I think it's fine to to share. Brooke and I have known each other for about two years, and I just recently joined the board of directors. And because of that, I've had a really lovely sort of bird's eye view on the work that that you and your team do every day and the really purpose and passion intersection of the Joel Fund. It's real. And it's real because of your dad and your story and the connection that you have with your father. And I think that's that's beautiful because that's an anchor that that only you share. And I think that is why the Joel Fund has seen such incredible growth over the last several years. Um, and he'd be very proud of your work. Thank um, you. Maybe you can share a couple of special memories that you have of your dad. So my um, my dad was gone a lot of my childhood. He uh, he was overseas a lot. He was gone probably nine months a year. Mm. There was even a period of time where he lived on the island of Crete off the coast of Greece Mm -hmm. um, for a few years. But when he was stateside, he was living in Key West. And so in the summer, I used to get to go spend a few weeks with him. 
And his wife at the time, my parents were divorced, she worked at Ernest Hemingway's house. And my dad was teaching at the SEAL swim school. So I would go and spend my days at the Ernest Hemingway house and play with all the cats. So that was always a lot of fun. Um, and it was just a cool experience to get to spend, even though I grew up in Virginia Beach, it was still very different being in Key West um, and, and just a very cool place to be as a child. So it's true, Hemingway and all his cats. Oh, yes. That's a real thing. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, that's good. I mean, memories are are the fuel, right? Yes. It's the it's the why we live is so that we can create these special moments. Take us through the challenges, though. So you have these beautiful memories of your dad. I'd love for you to just share with our listeners, you know, the challenges that your dad faced, which really was the spark for this story and why you do this work with the Jewel Fund. Probably around the time I started having kids. So my oldest is um, about to be senior in high school. Um, I started to see a change in my dad's behavior. Uh, he would call me and he would be drunk, slurring at two o'clock in the afternoon. And no one sat me down and explained to me what was going on. So I just distanced myself from him. Mm. And it started to get progressively worse. Six months before he passed away, he went missing. He was, um, he called the cops because he had done some drugs and didn't like how he was feeling. He had called 911 and they showed up and they beat him up, put him in the hospital with broken ribs. And he was facing five counts of assaulting a police officer. He was 123 pounds soaking wet, mm. but he was the one that was in the hospital with the broken ribs. And um, they Baker acted him. They checked him into a mental hospital. And that's when I, that was the first wake up call. And that was when I said, okay, I've got to start to understand really what's going on. Tried meeting with his doctors, didn't get any information there. But I started a, to change my relationship with my dad. I tried to truly understand what he was going through mm -hmm. and to learn from him since I wasn't getting the information from his, from his doctors. And he opened up, he was clean for the six months before he passed away. It was the closest we had ever been. I will never regret that time that I had with him. But when he was gone, I was filled with so much regret not having learned sooner what he was going through to be able to help him sooner. Yeah. Well, your dad's a hero. And yes. he lives on. Yes. Because this work, again, that you're getting, the story that we're telling today is a representation of a life well lived an incredible service to this country. He really is a hero. And through that pain, your personal pain, you're able to be a stopgap in many ways with the work that you're doing as you serve and support veterans today, right now, in this moment. Yes. And so we have another hero with us today. Eddie Spaghetti is sitting across the table and he said, are you going to be able to tell everybody how handsome I am? Y'all. So <laughs> handsome. I said I was going to spend the first five minutes just making sure everybody knew this handsome <laughs> uh, young man that I have across the table from me. Uh, but <laughs> Eddie Spaghetti. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. And you are a hero. Thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. Truly. I serve. I don't know that I'm a hero. Well. All the heroes are in the ground. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm still here. That's perspective. I appreciate Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's perspective. But the extra mile. How about that? That you took the extra mile that that often that I won't take and that Brooke hasn't taken. Thank you mm. for that. It was a pleasure. I'd do it all over again. 
why don't you tell us a little bit about your service? Give us, you said you were six years, you you liked, you were in the submarine, you weren't up in the air, right? So give us a little bit of that texture of the of those six years and, and what you did and where you were. And um, I joined the Navy in February of 1978. And I made the great mistake of going to Great Lakes, Illinois for boot camp in the winter. Mm. <laughs> mm. I caught pneumonia there and was hospitalized. Uh, I started out with company 001. I graduated with company 030. That's how long I was in the hospital, probably two and a half weeks uh, dying from pneumonia. Wow. But they brought me back to life. The big part about that, I got to watch Leon Spinks beat Muhammad Ali okay. on Friday in February, <laughs> on Friday night fights. Plus the nurses that were all around my bed kind of helped me want to live on, you know. <laughs> um, I joined the Navy to save my life because okay. uh, I was a junior in high school and I was taking a consumer education course. And the teacher, the first day I walked in, he's taking attendance. I'm looking, I said, is this guy for real? I'm not taking this class. So I would cut that, that class every day. And then one day it was so cold and rainy that no one else was going to cut class. So I decided to go back and sit in that class. And the teacher says, excuse me, who are you? Oh, wow. And I told him who I was. He says, what are you doing in my class? I said, this is my class. So I, he goes, where have you been? I said, well, I was in the boys' room, uh, but I'm back now. He says, for two months? And I'm like, so he goes, here, take this down to the principal's office. So he wrote a note, and I read the note. I said, oh, I'm dead. My father, I knew he was going to kill me. So as I'm walking across the street to the railroad tracks where we would cut and just sit there and ponder my next move, as I'm crossing the street, I almost got hit by a Navy recruiter. And I jumped on the hood of his car, and I'm like, you got to help me. You got to help me. And I told him my situation. So he took me down to his office in Patterson, New Jersey, which is the next town over, and he gave me the ASVAB which okay. is the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. And I passed it with flying colors. So I said, can you write me a letter for my parents? Because I knew a letter was coming from the school. Yep. I intercepted that letter. And then I called my father. I said, look, he was a police officer. I said, look, when you get off duty, why don't we go down and play some pool and have a burger? We haven't done that in a while. And then so I said, dad, I got two things to tell you. I said, I got good news and I got real bad news. He goes, well, give me the good news first. So I handed him the letter from the Navy recruiter. His face, oh, my boy, my boy. I handed him a letter <laughs> from the school, and he tore it up. He said, F them. You know? So then I went to the Navy. There it is. I, I went to, uh, to boot camp in Great Lakes, Illinois, graduated that. I went to New London, Connecticut for submarine school. And then I picked up the submarine, the USS Sam Rayburn, SSBN 635. It was a ballistic missile submarine. It was in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, undergoing overhaul, getting a new reactor. And that's where I met all the guys that I'm going to be seeing on the 9th of this month. We're having a big reunion at Portsmouth Naval Shipyard. I haven't seen these guys in 40 years. Oh, wow. We're going to do grave runs. We're going to do the, the three days for the, the reunion. And then coming back from Maine to North Carolina, we're going to stop at various places for visit with the guys that we weren't able to make the trip. So I'm looking forward to that. I was a chef. Um, they called it a mess management specialist. Now it's called a culinary specialist. And I fed 150 sailors and officers with the other part of my department. There was uh, seven of us. And uh, that, that's basically what I did. Wow. So then uh, I, I got out in 1982. I, uh, while I was in, I was to Puerto Rico, St. Croix, up and down the East Coast. I was to Cape Canaveral. I was to the Virgin Islands. Mm. Although for the life of me, I can't figure why they called them that because I never met any. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
It, it was beautiful. I saw flying what fish. What I tell you, y'all? This one is not live wire across the <laughs> table here. Yeah. I'm thinking about going back to the Virgin Islands and be recycled. But um, <laughs> I met a lot of beautiful people. I met a lot of idiots, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a lot of stress. You know, I, I don't know what the Navy's like today, especially in submarines, but it, it was a lot to put up with. Yeah. Not, not just being underwater with no sunlight and, you know, uh, no communication with your family. There was just a lot of internal nonsense that goes on. And after a while, I just couldn't take the stress. I had completely planned on retiring, but yeah. I just couldn't put up with the abuse. Yeah. You know, so I got out, which was a big mistake. I should have just transferred to someplace else in the Navy. You know, and I would stress that to everybody that's in the military, stay in. Mm-hmm. My nephew's a Navy SEAL. He teaches dive training okay. in, I think it's Deep Creek, Virginia, uh, or Little Creek, one Little, of those creeks. Little Creek. <laughs> and uh, it got a lot of creeks in Virginia. But, um, <laughs> and he said, Uncle Eddie, what am I? I said, Thomas, stay in. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? You want to get out and get a job? You already got a job. You got yeah. what, like four and a half years left to go? Retire. Mm-hmm. Well, one, one benefit that I have is that I have full medical benefits you know, for the rest of my life. And recently I was just uh, rated 100% disability. So I never have to worry about money again for the rest of my life. Although I'm by no means rich. You ladies might want to keep that in mind. Who's going to call and think, (laughs) you're going to marry a rich old sailor. (laughs) I just have enough to keep my head above water. Yeah. And that sounds strange after being the guy that wanted to have his head underwater. Now I'm trying to keep above it. And I went through PSD, never even knew I had it, you know. And uh, slowly well, but surely, my wife fell apart. My life fell apart. Like every relationship I had was the greatest woman I ever met. A few months later, here I am crying my eyes out. Every job I ever had, I worked for the post office. Yeah. I worked for IBM. I worked for a detective agency. Uh, I, I was a manager for Radio Shack. So happy to have those jobs. And, and the interesting part about that is every job I ever had, I never filled out an application. Never. Mm. I just went to the interview. And I would put this out there for a lot of people. When somebody asks you, well, what do you do? You tell them whatever you tell me to do. Yeah. And that's all bosses want to hear. That's yeah. all. The, and then, then live up to that. And I, I did my very best, but slowly but surely that PTSD crept in, uh, drug addiction, alcoholism. I'm and, curious when that happened. So you had this, you know, worldwide experience, courtesy of the military being in the Navy. So you had sort of this like beautiful six years quote unquote, right? Some underwater, but also in these different countries. You come back to civilian life. When did that collision happen where you came back, you're back in civilian life. And so these things start to show up, the PTSD, depression, drugs, like when was that? Was it gradual or was it like, whoa? Well, the very first time I ever consumed alcohol at 17 years old was in the Navy and then marijuana and cocaine, you know, due to peer pressure and it, it kind of helped relieve the stress, but in the, it's, it, it had like a cyclic effect. It added to the stress, and yet it relieved it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so it then became worse and worse and worse and worse. And I was honorably discharged. But then in civilian life, like I said, not realizing and, and having beautiful jobs and having a good time, but something inside me was warring with me, mm. you know. Wow. And, and the worst part, it's, it's not like when, when you struggle with somebody else, you know, who's bigger than you because you know you're going to lose. And, or when you struggle with something that's weaker than you, you know you're going to win. The worst part about the struggle with yourself is that you're so evenly matched that it just keeps going and going and going. And there's no end to it. Wow. And so. That's yeah. a perfect picture. I felt that. I felt that. So the Joel Fund, 
how did you meet? How did you find the Joel Fund? What circumstances led you to the Joel Fund? Let's find that intersection. I'm doing this with my hands. No one can see this where I see Brooke and I see Eddie Spaghetti. How did you all yeah, meet? You must be Italian talking <laughs> with your hands. Talking with my hands. How did you all meet? Well, I called uh, Wake County Vets and they gave me a few phone numbers. I spoke to a woman named Olga from Veterans Bridge mm-hmm. and she put me in touch with the Joel Fund. Yeah. And eventually I got a call from a wonderful woman named Emily and we began to make arrangements because I needed a bed and, uh, and a couple of other things. The house that I'm living in now had a property management company that total garbage. I won't mention their name, but they really ripped the landlord off. So he took the house over. Okay. We had till April 30th to find another place to live. And I didn't want to go back with that property management company. And then the landlord came in and uh, he said, if you want to stay here, you can. He goes, and I'll even lower everybody's rent by $50 a month. I couldn't believe what I, how many times did anybody heard a landlord say lower the rent? Right. And he's a good guy, but the property management company was going to take all their stuff. I said, can't I just rent it until I can buy my own? Now we're taking everything. So Emily brought me some beautiful things, you know, and three days later, I was rated at 100% disability, which now also qualifies me to be retired. From, for medical reasons. Yep. So the back pay came in. It was close to $10,000. And the first thing that came to my mind, like a lightning bolt, is I want to give back. So I went and got a, a money order for $500. I know it's, I wish I could have done more, and I will, once I get my life really together. And I, I said, look, I have a gift for you. And so Emily came to, uh, was it Emily that came to Applebee's? Yeah, she came to Applebee's and I gave her that. And a few days later, I got phone calls how overwhelmed they were. And, and again, I didn't think it was anything heroic. I, I thought everybody does that. But then I realized there's veterans out there that don't have that. Yeah. And that's what I would encourage every veteran that's listening to this to get in touch with a law firm that handles veterans' disability. Because if you go through the VA, their own doctors evaluate you. And that's a conflict of interest. It took my friend nine years to get 100% rating. It took me nine weeks, mm. you know? So I, I would really, and, and they get paid on a contingency basis. Sure. You know, it's, it's a one-time shot. They get 25% of your back pay, but it is so, I, I would have given them 50%. They did such a good job, Yeah. you know? And a lot of us don't realize we have problems. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, that's the worst part about having an insidious problem like that. You, it, it's not like having cancer or broken bone or whatever. You see that, but you can't see here and here. Yeah. You can feel it, but it never clicks as, it, as that's a problem. That's good. What what I'm pulling from this is a couple of things. One is there was a gap. There was you. There was a, a moment, an immediate need that you had. And when you were talking about taking everything, you meant furnishings, right? So yeah. they were taking your furniture and you needed a bed. Like just... Yeah. Just put this in perspective for our listeners, just a place to sleep, a someplace to lay your head that is not the floor. So there is a gap in that moment. You've got a new place, but you don't have any furnishings. And so here comes the Joel Fund to sort of fill the gap, right? To fill the gap. And then you're talking about this 100% disability, disability which mm-hmm. is important for people to, to get because that you said one of your... Friends took nine years. It took you nine weeks. That's a big, that's a huge difference in the ability to live a life that is without the stress of making ends meet at the end of the month, right? Mm -hmm. And this is why so many of our veterans fall into gaps 
because they're trying to fill in just what we sort of take for granted, right? How do we pay our bills? How are we going to get our rent? If the rent goes up and not down in your case, right? How do we just cover the gap of maybe a $50 increase? It can change a life and put a veteran on the street and make them homeless. So Brooke, we didn't get into the full services, right, of what the Joel Fund does. It's a perfect opportunity to talk about the gap stop, but just the wraparound services too, because Eddie kind of alluded to just mental health and wellness, right? We talk about wellness, but then taking the stressors out so that you can focus on your wellness, like having a place to lay your head. So why don't you talk about the work of the Joel Fund? Absolutely. So everything that we do, we, I first always, you know, try to think about how it still honors my dad and, and that sort of thing. Um, I, every veteran that we help, I see my dad in those individuals in some level. My dad's situation was a little unique because he had a house, an apartment that was given to him for a dollar. And I didn't know this until after he passed away, I found the paperwork. If he had not had that, I know his situation would have been different because I know what it was like when I went down to visit him. And he didn't have much furniture. He barely had food in his house. So these supportive services that you mentioned, I try to pull from my experience that I had with my dad to give me the guidance on how to serve the men and women in our area. And the supportive services, so we we offer social connections. We have coffee events for veterans. We have art classes for veterans. We even have a breakfast club, which you will have to start to come to, um, where we get together and have breakfast once like every two months. But it's it's everything that we do is creating community for the veterans. The, the furniture program kind of started just organically. We um, were a referring agency to the Green Share Project, and we would get referrals for furniture, but the referral, the referring um, case manager didn't understand how the green share worked. So they would send us a veteran who maybe only needed a desk or a couch. And so we would then go on social media and ask for someone to donate these items. And then one of our board members, we would take his truck and we would deliver the item to the veteran. And that just kind of snowballed over several years. And uh, last year we decided to make it a, a full-blown program and we started working with the HUD-VASH program at the VA. So veterans who have housing vouchers who are transitioning out of homelessness, we provide them with furnishings. We work with another local nonprofit that has federal funding to put veterans into housing. So they they get the veterans the housing and then they send them to us so that we can give them the furniture. Yep. They can opt into um, a grocery delivery program for a couple of months and then our social connections. So what this does is it provides services for veterans so that they can focus on getting you know, their feet under them, being back in their housing, or whether they're transitioning from a new area. But that way they can focus on their immediate needs and focus on their mental and physical well-being while we kind of remove the stress of the other things from their lives. Yeah, it's good work. Thank you. It is the it's work. great work. Yeah. It is the work, right? It made a big difference in my life. Yeah. In just one life. Thank you, Eddie, for sharing your story today, by the way, friend. Thank you. Uh, because you're representing, you're representing the work of the Joel Fund at mass, right? And I happen to know, and Brooke is being modest, is that this work is national. Like she's got folks in her programs that are tuning in or zooming in from Texas to be in an art program, right? And the need is so great. There's a wait list to, to be supported by the work of the Joel Fund because they, they are growing at a tremendous rate, but the needs are constantly greater, it seems like. 
Yeah. Um, the more people learn about your work, Brooke, I mean, I've literally watched and witnessed this. The more people learn about it, it's just like the funnel gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But then the community responds as yes. well, which is exactly how this is supposed to work, yeah. right? So even now, as we're talking here on this podcast, I think it's important. We, we've we laid out the work. We've sort of made the case. Eddie brought his story to life. He's made the case for us. But let's talk about what you need, okay? What do you need? Because you've got folks who are tuning in that I'm sure are compelled. We all are within one degree. If we're not a veteran, we're one degree from from knowing somebody who has served in the military and is honored by that service. My mom's a veteran as well. She was eight and a half years in the military. And, and then again, why I'm so compelled by this work, because I know I'm her stopgap. But if it weren't for that, I don't know. She would be at the Joel Fund, I'm sure. She's a single mom. She has me. But if she didn't, she'd be talking to you, Brooke. I'm sure of it. So tell me what it is you need and what can our listeners do to support this work? We need, like any other nonprofit, we always need donations. Yep. And that can come in many forms. We need financial donations. We need furniture donations. The need for furniture right now is huge. COVID hit the veteran community hard. A lot of veterans are trying to get off the streets. We Last year, we served almost 60 veterans with furniture. We did that in first quarter. First quarter of this year. Of this year. Just being clear. Yes. Yeah. We are running about a 20-person wait list. So we, from the moment we get the referral to delivery, we have a goal. But because the wait list has been so long and we need furniture, they've been going about three to four weeks. We immediately send them beds. Um, we always provide new beds, a bed frame, and bedding for the veterans. We've just launched our Good Night Sleep Sponsorship. So that is something that we would love for people to participate in. It's a $500 donation, and they then it allows us to provide a bed frame, a new mattress, and bedding for a veteran transitioning out of homelessness. And 500 would even go further. For, we've been getting a lot of families recently. We've had several that have anywhere from four to eight members in their family. Mm. And so providing beds for them is, is a big thing. So we figure if they have a good place to sleep at night, then, you know, they can wait a little bit longer on the furniture, but we, we do everything we can to get them the furniture within, um, ideally it would be 10 days, 10 business days, but we're shooting more at like three weeks is average. Yeah. And then time, you know, we need volunteers to help us with these programs. We've grown so fast and our team is small, but mighty. So we yeah. are, we are definitely looking for volunteers also. Awesome. So how do they find you? The best place is on our website, just um, thejolfund.org. That's the easiest. All that information is there. Yep. And Brooke and her team are amazing. They're lovely. You reach out to them. They're very responsive, and they will they will take any resource that you have that is available to do this good work and to make it go, go further, right? Go yes. further, farther. I mean, she has her kids in, in trucks on the weekend <laughs> delivering furniture, y'all. This is, this is a real... Real deal, it's passion, a family meets effort, purpose, purpose. Yeah, passion meets purpose. No question about it. One piece of advice you've given several pieces of advice, Eddie, throughout this entire conversation. But I'd love you both to leave us with one piece of advice that you'd want to give veterans who are about to come back into community. What would you say to them? Don't be ashamed. Just acknowledge your struggle. Don't worry if people judge you because more often than not, there are people willing to do 
a lot more than just say thank you for your service. They're willing to thank you for your service and uh, reach out to reputable companies. Um, I, I've been given permission by the law firm that handled me. If it's all right that I say all they do is veterans. And uh, the name of the company is Woods and Woods out of Evansville, Indiana. And uh, a young lady's Miranda Lynch. Mm. And uh, that's all they do. They don't do anything else. And they, they filed for me on November 23rd of last year. Two weeks later, I was already getting the 10% uh, rating. And about eight, uh, seven weeks after that, I was rated at 100%, got that in my back pay. Um, they have a website just for veterans, like constantly keeping us updated of what's going on in the Veterans Administration. Yeah. And ask for help because if you don't, you won't know about places like the Joel Fund. Right. You know, I, and like I said, your situation can get rapidly and progressively worse, especially in today's economy and things like that. So if you need help, get it fast while it's available. Yeah. Because the time is coming and there won't be help for any of us, veteran or non-veteran. Thank you. Thank you. That was a good, let's end there. That's that's perfect. Thank you so much. So Brooke, Eddie, I want to thank you officially, more formally for joining us today. This is such an incredible platform that EarFluence is hosting and presenting. And so I'm honored um, that I had the opportunity to have this conversation with both of you. So for all of my listeners who have enjoyed this conversation, please share the episode with your network. That is so important because this is called scaling, right? We have to get the word out. So share this episode with your networks. So ask them to share with their networks. We need to spread the word about the Joel Fund and this incredible work. Um, also, I want to challenge you, uh, my listeners, to make a difference. You heard Brooke sort of lay out the different ways that you can get involved with uh, her organization through financial resources, through time, through advice, through extending your network. There's lots of ways to get involved and they need all of those ways. So please, please, please challenge yourself to make a difference. I understand we're all busy, but this is the good work. This is the good work. Hey everyone, it's Jason Gilligan with EarFluence back again, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to this episode of Charity Champions. This season, we are showcasing so many different ways to get involved, whether that's through volunteering, donating, or simply spreading the word about these amazing charities in the triangle, and I encourage you to take action. A special thank you to Jess Averhart for hosting this episode. I highly recommend checking out her work at jessaverhart.com, which is spelled J-E-S-A-V. E-R-H-A-R-T. Until next time, I'm Jason Gilligan, and you've been listening to Charity Champions from EarFluence Media.